Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 33 of Swimming Upstream. Today, we are finishing our trip around the Marlins minor league system with our 2021 recap of the new AAA affiliate, the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp. We are honored to have a special guest back joining us on the show. But first, I got to welcome back in my partner, Daniel DeVivo. Dan, it's been a little bit, man. I've been doing these last three episodes on the system without you, but um, glad to have you back. So glad to have you. Of course, your input was in those episodes, even though you weren't on the show with me because of scheduling issues and your fatherly duties that you have to uh, attribute yourself to. We have you back on this one. Uh, so yeah, great to have you back. Uh, just wanted to ask how, how are things going and how's Columbia? We know you were here in Miami with us uh, for a couple of Marlins games. We got to hang out a little bit. You were up in Pensacola as well. So how was all that? And yeah, what's going on? Hey man, uh, you know, as always, just happy to be here with you. As I always say, talking about what really, um, you know, drives us, our passions, which is uh, prospects and the prospect life and, and, and our Marlins. Um, but everything's great, man. Family is great. Columbia is also amazing. I uh, had a great time. It was obviously great seeing you. Um, Twitter loved it. Twitter loved our, our, our pictures. <laughs> um, and then Pensacola was great, man. It's, it's a little great uh, minor league baseball city. It was fun doing the um, road trip with, with my brother, with, with, you know, who's, who's gaining some notoriety in our, in our Twitter um, little by little, but, but yeah, man, as I mentioned, it's just great being here with you and, and excited about our guest today. Yeah, for sure. Um, by the way, just a quick behind the scenes on that picture that almost didn't happen. <laughs> Twitter did love that picture. Everybody was so glad that we finally met each other, but we were out of on our way out of the stadium. And I think your brother was the one that was like, you guys should take a picture together and post it. On it's Twitter. absolutely, it was absolutely Jamie. It was Jamie who was it like, yeah, you was, have to combo, take a picture. <laughs> yeah. It was a combo between my girlfriend and your brother that just like really yeah. wanted us to take a picture together, but we're glad we did. Uh, it was great to finally meet you in person um, and glad to have you back. But uh, yeah, also glad to have our special guest back on the show. He joined us at the beginning of the year and he's back joining us here at the end of the year um, to talk about this, uh, this 2021 Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp team. It's the play-by-play voice of the Jumbo Shrimp and a good friend of ours. It's Scott Kornberg. So Scott, thanks so much again for coming back on the show to give us a lowdown on this team. We really, really do appreciate it. Um, we'll get to our questions. Um, first off, you know, I, I'd ask you how the offseason is so far, but as you told us, and as you're just coming off of um, a family event at the stadium, I believe, and also, as you told us just now as well, you're a new father, so kind of no offseason for you. So I guess the question could just be, how you doing and, and how's everything going? Yeah, well, guys, thanks for having me on, and I'm loving being – being a dad and a husband, that's the, the best part of the offseason is you got all this time because you don't have games. Um, so I, I get to, to be a family guy. And that's the most important thing because, I, you know, it's tough to do that during the year. But it is, you know, it's it's enjoyable. It was, a you know, kind of a tough season in terms of working um, with all the protocols that we had to deal with. And, and, you know, I'm glad we had them in place. But there was a lot of work to put things in. in, uh, in. You know, I do some sales and uh, that was really difficult for our, our ticket holders. And, and obviously media wise, you know, we had no access up until like the middle of the season. So, um, you know, again, I'm glad we had them in place. It's better to be safe, but um, this was a, a tough, tough year, but uh, it was a really good year on the field for the jumbo shrimp. Yeah, for sure. We'll get to some players that, uh, that stood out to us uh, for sure. And definitely the pitching staff, which we'll also get to. 
Um, but the first thing that we wanted to ask, we do have a couple of team specific and uh, before we move to those player specific. So the first thing up, um, as I said before, new level uh, for you guys this year, up from double A to triple A. Um, you know, competition wise, it's, it's probably not the biggest jump. I think that the, the jump from single A ball to double A ball is probably the biggest jump for a player to specifically make. Um, but I'm sure there were differences, um, you know, both on and off the field. Of course, travel changed as well. We will get to that as well. So what were those differences like um, for the shrimp and for you personally during the year in this kind of new landscape? I think um, that's a great question. And I think, um, you know, once it was announced that we had received an invite and then obviously accepted that invite to become the Marlins AAA affiliate, when you think about minor league baseball, and you guys know this very well, the, the focus is not necessarily on the field um, almost all the time. You know, like there are people who obviously care about, about prospects like you guys and the young players in any organization, but for most of the fans who are going to games, they care about, okay, you know, we have this crazy shrimp thing. You can get in the concession stand or there's fireworks or, you know, it's thirsty Thursday. But I think uh, Jacksonville has got such a great baseball history that, you know, I think our leadership team and, and, you know, our front office in general probably underestimated how much the city and the area would really care that, wow, like Jacksonville is going to have triple a baseball for the first time since 1968. And uh, there was a triple A team here in the sixties. There's uh, actually like Negro leagues teams um, that date back into the early 1900s. And also there's a, um, a semi-pro black baseball team that dates back to 1886. So like there's been baseball here for a long time and triple uh, A baseball, you know, with Tom Seaver and Nolan Ryan. I mean, these are, you know, inner circle hall of famers. So I think the older baseball fans were really excited. I think, even the, the casual fan was like, well, you know, Jacksonville is such a, a growing area. We should be competing along the likes of other growing areas like Durham and Charlotte and Nashville, who obviously we, we play in the division. So, you know, there was a huge run on people ordering uh, various ticket plans. We actually had our biggest uh, season ticket holder base in, in you know, the, the fast forward sports group uh, history, which is fantastic. So you know, there was a lot of excitement. And then there's you know people who were maybe a little bit skeptical, like, well, um, you know, as you said, Alex, the biggest jump, and I think most people in baseball would would agree, is high A to double A. And you know, people say, well, triple you know, A, sometimes prospects skip triple A and, and this and that. And I think clearly we did not see that. We saw, you know, really any big time prospect that was at that level who was ready to go up, they came to triple A first before going to the major leagues and the other difference was obviously you're seeing major league talent I think you know when I first found out that we were going to go AAA talking with some of my friends who had uh, who are broadcasters who you know are called AAA and they're like you'll be surprised there is a difference I didn't think there really was and um, you know I think it was noticeable uh, for me you know 2019 AA baseball even with these guys most of them a year off um, the baseball was significantly better. And I, I think it, it was four major leaguers who were on the roster in 2019, you know, at some point in their career. Uh, this year, there were 46 players who had major league time, 38 of them who logged major league time at some point this year and also played for the Jumbo Shrimp. So, um, you know, obviously from, from our perspective, the most important thing for Jacksonville fans only 
is that we still have $5 tickets. We still have $2 hot dogs. We still have Thirsty Thursdays and fireworks on Fridays and giveaways on Saturdays and Family Sundays. But, you know, you want the best product possible and why not have the best baseball product possible, especially when, you know, your neighbors are your major league parent club. So I I think in every way it was a, a home run for us. Our fans were incredibly excited and talking to some of them, you know, during the year and after the year, they, they noticed that difference as well. And I think when they learned about some of those numbers, like, wow, I saw that many major league guys this year. I mean, really cool, especially when you combine that with some of the young players and the talent coming up in this uh, really interesting Marlin system. I, you know, I think it was just a, a really great year where, uh, we're highly fortunate that in a, a bittersweet situation in which some communities lost their teams, you know, we were one of the few that really benefited from that. That I think that segues nicely into, into my you know, next question, because we're talking changes here and, and new things, new, new things that are happening. And something that was interesting from this season is that you guys pretty much played the same three teams <laughs> for most of the year, uh, Norfolk, Durham, and then Charlotte. Um, did it get tedious at times? Also, what do you think that does for a team in terms of scouting? You know, who, who really do you feel benefited from that? That's a great question. And uh, yeah, the, the number was 83% of, the games on the season were against three teams. So, you know, um, that, that's kind of just insane that you're seeing these teams 30 times a year, Durham and Norfolk and Charlotte. And, uh, you know, I can tell you that the coaches and the players didn't like it. I mean, you don't want to see the same guys over and over again. Like you've seen relief, the fans, you know, they've seen relievers sometimes pitch like 15, 20 times against them. And, and you know, even for the fans who, maybe don't notice it, but they don't necessarily enjoy that too. So it's, it's nice to have a more balanced schedule ahead in, in 2022, but listen, like we didn't have baseball in 2020, so we will take anything we can get. And I think most people had that attitude, um, you know, on, on the, the coaches side, they, they really didn't like it. You know, you don't want to see the same guys over and over and over again. They got sick of it. Um, I think, in terms of who would benefit, that's a great question because you talk to some coaches and they would be like, or players, and they would be like, this really helps the pitchers. And then you talk to other guys and they'd be like, this really helps the hitters. So I don't <laughs> really know, but I would think it would help the hitters more because you see pitcher stuff more and more and more and you kind of get a sense of how they attack and, and you know, how their stuff moves and, and the arm slot it comes from. And, um, but it's hard. And I think... You know, in particular, there was a little bit of a rivalry with Jacksonville and Charlotte, and, and there maybe was some frustrations that boiled over um, towards the end of the year because you're just seeing those guys over and over again. And, you know, a couple hit by pitches there, words here, and all of a sudden the bench is empty out and, and you've got a situation. But overall, you know, for the amount of times these guys played each other and the you know, the only, there's only so many ways you could, you could yeah. scout people, right? Like you have a good idea of, of what you're seeing, even with all the changes in the rosters, Durham had a lot of those same guys uh, as a core because Tampa Bay is so good in the major leagues. There's no spots for guys. Mm -hmm. So unless it's Wander Franco, a lot of those guys were, were there the whole year, like a Dalton Kelly, who was a tremendous player. 
uh, White Sox with the Charlotte Knights, same thing. And, uh, you know, Norfolk, similar to Miami, rebuilding with the, the Baltimore organization. And they actually have probably had a little bit more turnover, similar to, to us. We had 284 roster moves. So I think, you know, in a way that, that really helped, um, you know, maybe all the injuries in the major leagues that we had so many guys coming in throughout the year. Norfolk was more similar, but the scouting is hard. And I think the everybody on the field found it really difficult to see the same guys over and over again. And I think at a certain point, it stagnates your development a little bit because you're not seeing different things. You're seeing the same stuff over and over again. And I'm looking at the calendar here for 2022 and you're like, as you said, it just looks, it looks more colorful. <laughs> There's a, you know, teams that I remember you, you guys playing, maybe you did uh, Syracuse. Um, I remember if you played, um, who else is here? Uh, Iowa. Next year, uh, yeah. Worcester and Iowa. So we only played in the division this year. And, um, you know, of the 130 games we had, 30 against Charlotte, 36 against Durham, and 36 against Man, that's Durham. crazy. So uh, next year, I think it's – I'll have to look at the schedule again. I want to say it's two or three series against each divisional opponent. And then we we have Iowa coming in, uh, which is really cool. Um, you know, Cubs affiliate, huge fan base, great fan base. Um, you know, for me, I used to work in their organization. My wife is a Cubs mm. fan, so – <laughs> she normally roots for the jumbo shrimp. We'll see how that one goes. There <laughs> is coming in, uh, you know, same thing with the Red Sox fan base. We go to Scranton, which is a Yankees affiliate. And we go to Syracuse, which is a, a Mets affiliate. So, um, you know, there's a little bit more, more balance. We see some different, different things in 2022. So I'm looking forward to that. To finish off really quickly here, the point on scheduling, um, the six day series, you know, that's also something that changed. Um, I see a lot of, a lot of pros, like from the outside, I see more pros and cons on that. What do you think, you know, in terms of not just baseball, but also in terms of scheduling and, and being making it more comfortable for players and coaches? Well, you know, I think whereas players and coaches didn't really like seeing the same teams over and over again, they loved the six game schedule. And um, I think everybody loved it, right? From a business perspective, Monday is not a big day. Um, you, you're rarely going to get a huge gate on a Monday. So, um, you know, Alex asked about the, the, the changes going to AAA. Well, one of those changes is you fly most of the time. Now, we didn't really fly that much this year because of COVID and stuff. And we're playing teams in the division, so you can kind of deal with some longer bus trips. But we will fly pretty much everywhere next year. And that buffer day, I mean, it really helps these guys recover. You're, you're playing a long season, 144 games next year. And in the past, I'd heard that, you know, you're taking flights at 5 a.m., 6 a.m. And this will really help kind of give these guys a little bit more rest to, you know, maybe take a little bit of a, a later flight to get back into whatever city or get into whatever city you're going to. So, from a travel perspective, it makes a ton of sense to have a built-in travel day. From a business perspective, it makes a, a ton of sense as well. And uh, I think from a playing perspective, I, teams really like it too. A lot of teams are using six-man rotations. And so, you know, I think maybe what people were concerned about, oh, my God, are we going to see the same starter twice? You really didn't have that happen, especially because this year teams are really cautious working guys 
back um, with no baseball season in the minors in 2020. So, you know, you, you got a chance to see the whole staff, you know, granted you saw some of those guys pitch against you six, seven times by the end of the season, but, you know, in, in principle, I thought it was a really good thing. I think people really liked it. You kind of knew who you're playing, you know, for the whole week, if you're traveling, okay, we're going to, you know, instead of packing our, you know, getting in, being here for two days and then, you know, packing up and going, um, you know, we can really like, all right, we're in Durham for the week and you can go out and explore in Charlotte and you can find a restaurant you really like for lunch or whatever. So yeah, people love that. And that was a big positive change. And it's a huge reason why it's coming back for next season. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's coming back at, at most levels. Actually, I think at all levels that, that we'll see that again, the, the six game series and talking to other people on these shows that we've done. They love that that Sunday that Sunday day game followed by the the Monday off. So uh, yeah, I think I think players and um, and professionals in the business really enjoyed that. And yeah, glad that's coming back. Uh, changes a little bit, as you said, but um, overall, I think it's a plus for sure. Um, I want to go back just slightly to what you were saying about who um, you know playing the same team benefits, and I think I agree with you that it should benefit hitters. Like you know, you're seeing the same arms. These are guys that are obviously still you know ending their development, gaining polish, whatever it may be. And you can only see the same stuff so many times before you're going to pick something up and, and, you know, there's better scouting when you're facing the same guys. I definitely agree that I think it should benefit. Um, it should benefit hitters, especially in mostly a hitter friendly environment um, in, in, in the old Southern league. And now of course it's a little bit redrawn, but you know, still, I think pretty hitter friendly league, but, but no, in terms of the shrimp, I think the pitchers did really well as a whole this year. You know, um, I can give you stats. Fifth in the AAA South in ERA as 3.92. Fourth in WHIP, 1.27. Also good control numbers. They were um, third in walks to strikeouts ratio. It was 2.76. And like I said, you know, historically hitter friendly. So um, I think you had three main guys, all of which made um, the, the majors at some point with the Marlins. Um, two of these guys were up and down a lot in, in Braxton Garrett and Nick Nider. Um, you had Dan Castano in there too before he got hurt. Um, you know, so yeah. And again, he, I think he got back at the end of the year as well. Um, bullpen was good too. Um, you know, Steven Okert, Andrew Bellotti, um, Jake Fishman, I thought had a good year. Rob Zastrisny, he's no longer with the Marlins. He elected for free agency, but I thought he, he did good work as well. Um, then you have, of course, Tommy Eveld, who I'm hoping doesn't get selected in, in the rule five draft. And then at the end of the year, you guys saw a couple glimpses of guys, that you could have next season. Um, I, I really like Colton Hawk as a guy, like maybe a high leverage guy someday. Um, and then of course you could talk about Max Meyer, you know, we all know about him. So I just wanted to ask as a whole um, for Jeremy Powell and the pitching staff, um, how do you think they kind of rose to that challenge of facing these same guys and kind of trying to keep them off balance and while still developing, you know? So yeah, just on a whole is pitching for, for pitching. Well, I mean, you talked about so many guys there in those numbers, and I, I want to throw a couple things out because those are really impressive, and it's really impressive considering that um, Jacksonville had 21 different starting pitchers this year. That's a franchise record by a huge margin. They had 38 pitchers used this season. That is that ties a, a franchise record, and this is franchise record from 1962 um, to present. So you know, they were putting up those numbers with guys coming in and out all of the time. And there were times this year where they had somebody slated to start. And the day before, in a couple of cases, the morning of, 
um, that guy has to go to Miami. And, um, you know, they're like, oh, my God, who are we going to pitch today? And I just, you know, I, I'm simply amazed um, at the job that Jeremy Powell and Al Patrique did from the, the pitching staff perspective because it's hard. You're dealing with guys who didn't pitch at all mostly in 2020, so you don't want to ramp them up too much. And yet you're trying to have some sort of schedule so these guys stay on, you know, on schedule and, and don't get too much rest or too little rest. And yet you're dealing with people coming in and out all the time with late roster moves. So guys who are supposed to start end up not being able to start with different starting pitchers throughout, some of whom, you know, are on, on innings limits uh, throughout the year. So I just, you know, I, the whole season, I was just amazed, but, you know, you hit on some of it and um, it, I think pretty incredible um, you know, the first two guys you talked about, Braxton Garrett and Nick Niner, that's tough what they had to do to go up and down, up and down, up and down. That weighs on your psyche a little bit. And I, I don't think people realize that. You know, these guys, it's hard. They want to stick in the major leagues and you're kind of wondering, well, what do I have to do uh, you know, to find that success in the major leagues? And it's tough because maybe if I do turn in a good start, it might just be only there for that day and have to go back up to Jacksonville. So you know, I think those guys maybe didn't have the major league numbers they wanted consistently in 2021. But I think when you factor in that human element, it's hard. You know, can you imagine, you know, trying to, to reach a certain point in, in any job and working so hard to do that and then only getting like very brief glimpses of being able to, to do that? That's a lot of pressure. So I think, you know, for those guys, they had good AAA numbers and, I think hopefully we'll get more of a, a chance to, to show themselves in the major leagues in the future. Granted they're, they're, you know, the reason that they didn't really this year is because the major league staff is stacked, but um, you know, I, there was a lot of really interesting pieces here. Um, and Tommy Evel in particular is a guy that, you know, you said that you hope he doesn't get picked in the rule five draft. I mean, it's tough, right? Like you get attached to these guys and, and that's like one of the best guys in the team. His family is incredible. He's just an extraordinary person, extraordinary backstory. He's into woodworking and he actually uh, laces up his teammates' gloves. And, um, you know, he's he's really an incredible guy, very smart. And so like, yeah, you don't want other teams to take him, but you want these guys to get there. And so like in a weird way, you're rooting for him and it's a good thing for maybe him or Bryson Brigman or somebody like that to get picked in the rule five draft. So, you know, I, I think he had a really good year. Um, the strikeout numbers were, were there again. The velocity was pretty good for the most part. Uh, there were some dips towards the end of the year, but it was a long season. And then, uh, you know, Andrew Bellotti, what a, what a story he has. And, and he, you know, is able to make the major leagues for the first time in years, just like Sean Morimondo, just like Stephen Oker. I mean, there's a lot of really good stories in this as well. And then, you know, there's some really good young players that are, that are on the rise that even with a stacked rotation, you know, Sean Gunther is really interesting and his numbers are really inflated in AAA because he had to start one game on like, two hours notice because one of those starting pitchers got called up. Uh, Zach Thompson started the year. His numbers aren't great in AAA, but the strikeout numbers were there and the Marlins were, 
smart enough to see that this guy's got a really good cutter. His curveball has always been good. You know what? We need an arm. Let's see what we have here. And, and he started the game for the first time in four years, and he was really good, and he ends up in Miami in, in a starting and relieving role the rest of the year. Um, Castano had a pretty big injury, and, and he came back, I think, really encouraging from that too. And he's a guy who works his, his tail off. He's really, really a hard worker. Um, you know, I think all in all, there's a lot to like. And then obviously the, the big name that, that you had mentioned, Max Meyer. I was actually really curious to see how he would throw when he came up at the end of the year. And I was amazed. I, I, you know, you hear things about people, you can watch them on video, you read them and then to actually see him, see him in person. And that slider. What a bulldog, huh? Oh, just attacking. God. It's crazy. And he's he's a little guy, you know. He is. When I'm looking at him, he's like my height. Like I'm out of eye with him. And um, you know, I think he's got a really bright future. And I, I told this to you guys before we started recording, but I, you know, Edward Cabrera to me, uh, he's one of the best pitchers I've seen any season in the minor leagues. And what he did this year, where he's I mean, he's putting up numbers that you want to see from an elite reliever. Only he's doing it for like five or six innings at a time. And he's doing it learning AAA. Like he only had six AAA starts. And like, I don't think people realize like how unfathomable that is. Um, that to me, I, you know, I think probably Myers further along like pitching wise because he's, um, you know, he's got better command. And yeah, his stuff is insane. Like his fastball is ridiculous. His slider is insane. But you know, a lot of people would ask, like, okay, well, you saw Sixto Sanchez, and unfortunately we didn't get to see him this year, and you saw Ever Cabrera. I think a lot of people in the industry were, were higher on Sixto because they hadn't really seen Cabrera. He's more of an unknown going into 2019. I think, um, you know, having seen both of them, they're both incredible pitchers. But I, I think most a lot of people now are on the, you know, would maybe pick Cabrera over Sanchez. And, and not that one is bad, but the fact that they're both incredible, but that Edward Cabrera's ceiling is just so high. And I mean, I think he's just scraping the surface. And so I just, I'm telling you, like when he was pitching, I, I woke up and I was just so excited to come to the ballpark. I don't know that there's been another pitcher in, in my, my short broadcasting career felt like that. I, he was that good that every single time out, I was like, I know he's not going to be here that long. So I need to make sure I want to see everything because he's just so good. And I know he had some uneven results in the majors, but I, you know, having seen what he did learning AAA, and again, like I think he was probably, you know, maybe a little bit early to go to the majors and they challenged him with that. I just, I can't wait to see what he does when he figures out the majors. Cause I think he's just going to be utterly ridiculous up there. His, his stuff, his makeup, uh, his intelligence, it's off the charts. And uh, I, I cannot say enough about Edward Cabrera. He's just incredible. Two other guys I got to mention, um, you know, I talked about guys coming back to the majors. Preston Gilman is that guy. He was kind of like the Jumbo Shrimps, um, you know, leader in the clubhouse. When there were some tough moments, like he would come in every day and, and you know, if they were on a losing streak, he'd bring in donuts for everybody just to lighten the mood. Like he was that so guy. Cool. Um, he's a great story as well. And uh, Rob Zestrisny is another great guy who, you know, he won a World Series with the Cubs. And that stuff is really valuable um, to have in the clubhouse. When you've got young guys who are trying to get up there, when you've got Gil Mitz and you've got 
Zestrisny and you've got Bellotti and you've got guys who have come down and they've done it. You know, that stuff really rubs off on those guys. And particularly, um, you know, I think Rob and, and Preston were really good around the younger players. And, um, you know, I think that's really going to pay dividends in, in the future. And hopefully for those guys, they continue playing. Yeah, like you said, Rob's a free agent. I know his big thing is fantasy football right now. So I'm, I know he's focused on that, but I'm sure he's got a, a spot hopefully in, in pro ball somewhere next year, hopefully in the Marlins organization back with Jacksonville. Yeah, for sure. Just a, a couple of things that you said, just top, top to bottom. Um, impressive if, um, for the shrimp to post those numbers, you know, pitching wise, just as I said, with the, with where they play. And as you said, all the movement, you know, like Braxton Garrett, just, just to throw it out, you know, he had a start, um, I think it was against the Padres um, in like late July, where he just blew him away. It was like seven innings and like 10 strikeouts. And literally the day after they send him to, to AAA. And I'm like, I, as you said, what does he have to do? You know, and at that, at that moment, the Marlins really, they kind of had open spots in the rotation, you know, at the back end of the rotation with all the injuries and everything that they had. So I, I really thought that both him and Nider deserved a chance, especially after successful outings like that to really stick. And, you know, I, I kind of asked him about it on a media call. I was like, you know, what is all this up and down? You know, how do you feel about it? You know, he kind of gave the entry. I, I'm just trying to do my best wherever I'm at, but you got to kind of put yourself in the shoes of, you know, pitchers are creatures of habit. They want to be in the same place. They want to be with the same coaches. They want to be doing the same routine day after day after day. And for both of those guys, they had to get used to two different cities, completely different teammates, completely different coaches, even though it's the same organization. Right but in two different levels and still try to be effective and do their job. And as you said, they must've been asking themselves along with other guys that we'll talk about, like Brian Miller, Bryson Brigman, you know, like, what do I have to do to get my full shot? And that was something that for the whole year, especially for guys like that, that in Eveld as well, like guys that you kind of get attached to when you're covering the team, you know, that Daniel knows that he has his guys. Um, it's just like, man, what do you got to do? And, and when is, when is their shot going to come? And there were so many moments this year that I thought all of those names that I just mentioned could have, you know, gotten their full chance or full ride or ride at all for some of those names, big league team, but it just didn't happen. So hopefully that happens for all of them this coming season. Uh, if they all stick with the Marlins, so we'll see what happens there. But yeah, it's just uh, for those, for those names in particular, I just, just thought a rough, a rough year from the aspects that they can't control. And then you got to focus on what you can control and try to make that, you know, your main frame of mind. And I think for most of them, they did it. So um, yeah, very impressive um, for, for all of all of those names for that reason to stay effective amongst those circumstances. So, yeah, um, I guess we can ask. Go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, you hit the nail right in the head and, and you're talking about like different teammates and whatnot, like different catchers too, right? Like, you know, I, I don't think I've ever seen uh, more than like three or four catchers on one team for the whole season. And, and here in Jacksonville, uh, we had eight catchers, you know, so you're, you had to deal with different guys. Um, and you also had to give the catchers a lot of credit, you know, they had to learn a lot of pitchers this year and there's some really good defensive catchers, but, you know, I think Nick and, and Braxton, they're always, they're, they're just like as professional as you get. Um, and I think they're always going to answer those questions correctly, but I think maybe, you know, I said anybody would feel like that. Right. And I think that they had those moments. Um, they, they wouldn't probably say it publicly, but they know, um, you know, they, when they talk to JP and, and Al, like, I think they, they could feel like they could, you know, be honest with them because they are really good coaches. 
And that's why you've got really good coaches like that. It's like, you know, your players can be honest and your coaches could help work through those things. And I was a perfect example of somebody who, you know, lived through that. He played, you know, in, in the majors, but he was always up and down. And um, his last year was 89 and he kept playing for six more seasons just to try to get back. And he never did. So, you know, I think he understands a lot of these guys that, you know, either didn't get a chance or were up and down or, you know, are fighting. He, he lived through that. And, and, you know, and obviously I'm sure you guys have this plan to talk about him, but I, I, you know, a great move in my opinion by the Marlins to elevate him. Um, you know, his career speaks for himself, but the job he did this year is remarkable. All the different players, this team was outscored and yet they were, were 20 games over 500. And no matter what players were, were here, the team always fought 21 last at-bat wins. You know, they, they won 75 games, so that's more than one out of every four they won in their last at-bat. That's pretty amazing to me. And, um, you know, doing it with all different sorts of guys, all different sorts of skill sets. Um, again, I'm sorry to, to interrupt you, but I just thought, like, the coaches and the catchers, um, you had the perfect people in place to be able to – to handle whatever internal frustrations those guys like Nick and Braxton maybe had, um, but certainly never showed it in a, in an outward way because they are just the utmost professionals. Yeah. You segued perfectly to our next one, but I just wanted to tell, because I don't know if I'll get a, another chance to talk about Tommy Eveld. I, I hope I do, but mm-hmm. I don't know because we got to see what happens um, with the rule five draft. So before I have no chances left to talk about Tommy, I just want to tell a quick Tommy story, um, as you said, about uh, lacing gloves. So in 2020, before the shutdown, I kind of I kind of really hit it off with Pat Vendetti. Um, you know, he wasn't with the Marlins for a long time, but I just thought watching him pitch was just like the most fun thing ever. So, uh, you know, before COVID shut down, I, you know, we got a chance to be on the field around the team before games at Roger Dean. And I was talking to him one day and he had posted on Twitter about how Tommy read his glove. and as you guys know, that's not a normal glove. So I'm like, Tommy, I'm, I'm like, Hey, Pat, can I see your glove? And he hands me the glove and I'm looking at it. He made this glove look like it just came out of the factory. It was crazy. I was like, it, it, you know, we got into a conversation about Tommy, you know, and, and he's just like, this guy does so many different things. He goes hunting, he does woodworking. He does this. He plays baseball. He's a pitcher. He was a football player. I'm like, what can't this man do? <laughs> like, it was, it was just, just a fun dude. I, I really hope Tommy sticks. But yeah, a really cool dude. One of one of the biggest characters too. You see him walk up to the clubhouse in full on cowboy gear with boots and a flannel mm-hmm. shirt and a cowboy hat. Like just a, the most fun dude ever. And you know, never mind what he does on the field. Awesome off the field and just a great teammate. I'm sure, as as Scott said. So I hope I hope Tommy stays. Anyways. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I gotta I gotta talk about Tommy Eveld because he's one of my all time favorite players. And uh, I mean I mean you said it. Like he's off the field. He's so great. Right. And you need guys like that. It's a long season. He's so comfortable with who he is, but he's such a good teammate. Right. Like you know, I remember uh, where we stay in, in Charlotte, um, it's within walking distance of the ballpark. It's like a 10 minute walk. So, you know, I was walking over one day and I look ahead and Alberto Guerrero, who I think had maybe just signed with the nationals the last few days. Anyway, he had, you know, here's a guy who's from Panama 
literally had just been called up to AAA like two days before. So he doesn't know. He doesn't know Charlotte, North Carolina. He doesn't know, you know, AAA. And Tommy Evel walk with him to the ballpark and, and just talk with him the whole time. And like, you know, that's something that will never, no fans ever see that. And that stuff is huge. And then like, you know, he's also highly intelligent. Like these things that he does, like when he does woodworking, he doesn't just make like a little bench. Like I made in high school. That's uneven and awful. Like he, you know, his mom said to him, you know, one time, and I know this because his mom was telling me this story and she was like, yeah, I think I really want a new kitchen table. And like, he made her a kitchen table with like a little cutout in the middle. And, um, you know, he learned woodworking because I think his grandfather was really into woodworking and, um, you know, with the gloves, when he was at USF, there was guys who were older because as you said, Alex, he was a football player. So, um, you know, he was a football player, but he got hurt and he was playing in a men's league for softball and then uh, somehow got to, you know, pitching in a men's league for baseball. And then the guys there were like, hey, man, you felt pretty hard. Like you should try out. And he thought they were joking. And then, um, you know, it's almost like out of the rookie, right? Like he, he decides, okay, I'm going to, you know, try out. So he goes to knock on the, the baseball coach's office at USF and says like, hi, I'm Tommy Eveld. Like, I'd like to try out for your team. And the coach is like, who is this? Who are you? <laughs> and he said, oh yeah, I'm a football player, but I want to try out for the baseball team. And, and like the coach is just taken aback. And, and finally Tommy talks him into a tryout. And he gets in the mound. I think he throws like 94 miles per hour or something like that. And and they're like, oh, wait a minute. We've got something here. But, you know, he had to walk onto that team. And, um, you know, he, he goes, makes the team. And there's other guys with like these really cool, like neon green, um, like lacing. And he's like, well, how'd you guys, you know, he said, coach, like, can I get that too? And they said, no, you're just a walk on pretty much. <laughs> and, uh, so he asked like somebody else on the team who, who, uh, learned how to, to do that, the lacing and, and he learned from him. And then, uh, he was telling me this crazy story when he was at the alternate training site last year, um, Mickey Rojas's glove ripped in the middle of the game. And uh, I think it was either Mickey or Jesus Aguilar yelled into the stands. And Tommy said he was, he was eating like a bag of chips and he thought they were yelling at him because he, <laughs> he was eating something unhealthy and, and like, hey, come down to the dugout. And, and like in the middle of the game, he like came down and relaced Mickey's glove. And, uh, you know, did this again in, in the middle of an inning so that, when the Marlins went back out in the field for the next <laughs> inning, like he had a brand new glove and it was all laced up. And That's amazing. Uh, man. Crazy. Right. Yeah. And I, I think it might've, I think it might've been Mickey to yell at him to relace Aguilar's glove. I can't remember the, the players, but either way he did it. And um, you know, he does that for his teammates. Like he doesn't charge any money. Um, he just says, like I asked him about it. He said, yeah, I do it. Cause you know, I don't think it's fair to charge my teammates money. Like I, I like these guys. I, you know, I don't want to <laughs> charge them money. Like that's the kind of guy that he is, um, you know, just a, an amazing backstory with the football. He had no idea he'd be doing this. Um, the first, he, the Monday night football theme is like his walk up and he didn't pick it. It's only because he picks it now, but the first game he ever played in pro ball, uh, in the diamondbacks organization, they played that and he pitched well. So he just, uh, <laughs> he kept it, you know, a little superstition. And then on top of that, um, he actually proposed to his wife 
catching a first pitch in a minor league baseball game, which I always think is super cool. And his wife played softball at USF. And so actually really cool. She will watch all his outings. And um, if he pitches well, she'll like call him afterwards or text him and, and like, you know, maybe you didn't allow a run, but I noticed you did this, this, and this, and like give him feedback. But she's also, again, a pitcher. So she's smart enough to know that if he gives up a home run, let's say, like she's, you know, going to lighten it back because she knows what that's like. And I, I just, you know, what a great story. What a great guy. And um, Dude, everything you guys have said sounds like Ron Swanson from uh, <laughs> Parks and Rec. It's, you know, the woodworking, the the freaking wisdom, everything. <laughs> yeah. So, I, you know, again, I we're rooting for I'm, you know, it's impossible not to work with these guys and not root for them, especially somebody yeah. like that. So. You know, if Rule Five is the way to get him to the major leagues, I'm all for it. But uh, you know, I'd love for him to obviously <laughs> make it in the Marlins organization because he is such a great guy, and he's from Florida. It'd be really cool. His his uh, parents have a picture of him pitching in Little League in a Marlins like teal. That's shirt. amazing, man. Right here and, in Carl Springs too. That he's he's from yeah. my home city, so I connected with him on that too. And me and him, you know, when we're allowed around the players and stuff, you know, he's always says, what's up? He always says hi, fist bump, whatever. Like, just a great dude. And, like, everything that we said, I know we went kind of long on him, but you could, I could talk about that guy forever just because he's such a character and he's, he's so yeah. fun. Anyways. Sorry um, to talk so long about no, it. No, yeah, this is great stories. We love that kind of stuff. That's awesome. <laughs> you know, there's, there's really only one Tommy Eveld, so it's like – how could you not say some of this stuff? Cause there's nobody in baseball like him. It's really cool. Exactly. Right. All right. Um, yeah. So we have one more on the team and then we'll get to our player specific me and Dan each have a couple of those, but the last thing, and you kind of already mentioned it. Um, we have to ask about um, Al Padrique, of course, um, the manager with you guys this year, and he's the new infield coach and third base coach for Marlins. We got that announcement here in the last few days. Um, Scott, you wrote an excellent article um, for the jumbo ship drumble shrimp website on um on al a longtime baseball guy he spent multi, he spent time with multiple organizations helping scout you know and as a coach helping develop minor league talent in a variety of roles um as he wrote in your article um in, on the scouting front he was basically the scout responsible for bringing jose altuve to the houston astros in 2007 um, as I said, uh, a coach at every level after that um, for the Yankees organization, he brought up guys like Judge, Gary Sanchez, Clint Frazier, could be a good name for the Marlins, by the way. Anyways, uh, Luis Severino, Nestor Cortez, many more. Uh, you know, there's, there's so many guys, current Yankees and, and now past Yankees, that are quality baseball players that this guy had a, a direct contact and is responsible for helping their development. Um, you know, he also briefly managed um, in a uh, interim role uh, for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Um, this will be his, I think, second time serving as a third base coach. Um, and he's also the infield coach, as I said. So, Scott, as you said, a former player, he's basically done it all across minor league baseball, done quite a bit at the big league level, as I said, makes it back here. Um, obviously, those connections with the Yankees kind of turn over to connections with the Marlins. We've seen that a lot with other guys uh, with the front office and in coaching roles. Um, the question to sum it up, and you already hit on it, what does this man do for a dugout with his insane amount of knowledge and experience and his overall attitude and strategy towards developing players? And why is this promotion good for the Marlins who were terrible, no getting past it on the bases this year? They were far and away the worst team getting picked off of bases. 
And then also in terms of coaching infield, um, I look at a young player that Al can really help as Jazz Tirson Jr., who was really not good with the glove this year. He was tied for the league lead in errors. So what can Al do in both of those roles? And as I said, why is this a good spot for him and a good promotion? Well, I think, um, you know, when we found out that Al was going to be the manager here, um, my first ever manager in minor league baseball, uh, his name is, is Omar Lopez. He's actually the third base coach for the Astros now. Um, and so I, I think, I don't know, he must have seen something that he was coming to Jacksonville. So Omar texts me and he's like, Al Padrique is like, and he just raves about him, like raves about him, like several texts. And then other people are saying, oh, my God, you're going to love him. He's so great. And like he, if anything, those were undersells. I think that's where this move is so great. Like he is so good at working with younger players and getting them to learn routines and getting them to, you know, to understand the nuances of the game and getting them to learn the, you know, what they needed to do to be in the minor leagues to get to the next level in the major leagues to be successful. I mean, think about some of the teams that, that he's been with. I mean, pretty much anywhere in his coaching career, he's been with winning organizations. So, you know, before this with the Marlins, he was with Oakland. They've been really good recently. Before that, he was with the Yankees. Like, obviously, they've been really, really good. Before that, he was with Houston when they were turning the corner to become really good. And as you had mentioned, like Jose Altuve, he championed uh, the Astros to sign Altuve when nobody else would even give him a tryout. Um, you know, he was with Arizona when they won the World Series in 01. So, like, he was with Houston also in, in the late 90s when they were getting really good. So, I mean, that's not a coincidence. Like, this guy is so good at getting these young players. And I, and in talking with him at the end of the season, I thought he said one thing that really stood out to me and that he said, this feels exactly like when I was with the Yankees. Like you've got all these guys who have so much talent in the lower minors. And he actually went to a, a, a camp um, with the, the young players uh, like Khalil Watson, for example, um, at the end of the season down in, in Miami, or I think Jupiter, and, um, you know, he said, like, all these guys are going to move up level by level. And it reminds me of the Yankees because they're all going to come up at the same time. And, you know, in two or three years, I know it's tough for Marlins fans to hear about two or three more years. But, like, you know, he really felt like this feels like it. And whereas with the Yankees, he was, you know, in the minor leagues, getting these guys ready for the majors. I think it's kind of perfect for him to be in the major leagues with the Marlins now. Because, like, A, he's worked with a lot of these guys in AAA now that are going to be up next year. And B, you know, again, that respect that he commands, the way he treats players, the fairness he, he does, you know, in, in getting guys to, to get after their work and get prepared. And then the routines he set, which, you know, I think is huge for, for defense, for example. Um, I also think it's really important for, for base running. Like, he's, he's really a good based coach this wasn't really an aggressive running team but but they were a smart running team i would say and um you know I, that stuff is really going to matter i you know i almost think it it's less impactful as a base coach and more impactful as an infield coach and almost as a development coach like those are the guys you want on your staff because 
they're going to get the most out of players. And, um, you know, the, the respect he commands everybody, like any player you ask, like, oh, I love playing for Al. He's so, he's so fair. Like, yeah, he expects you to work hard. He, his expectations for you are very high, but he never asks you something that he thinks is unreasonable. And I also think like, you know, he, he did it himself. So he understands what it takes, what these guys are going through, the uncertainty of establishing yourself as a major leaguer. It's hard. I think that was really big for, you know, we haven't talked about him yet, but Jesus Sanchez, like this is a guy who really struggled in 2020. And Al talked to him about him a lot in 2021 as being a guy who, you know, that was, that was not like, that's not who you are, Jesus. Like that was a learning experience. And this is what, you know, this is what we're going to do to get you to be in the major leagues every single day. And I think he could have that kind of influence. And those are the kind of guys you want in your staff. So, you know, to me, I look at it as a, um, I think it's an incredible hire. The job he did this year was spectacular. And, um, you know, I think it's really going to help the Marlins, um, you know, build up a really good team and, and hopefully the near future. I have one really cool story, if you're willing, you know, to let me ramble on about Al. <laughs> I'm oh. sorry. Um, he told me this. I, I thought it was amazing. So he had Aaron Judge and he had Aaron Judge like going up. So he started with the Yankees and in low A Charleston, the next year he was in high A Tampa, the next year he was in double A Trenton, the next year he was in triple A Scranton Wilkes-Barre. So like he had judge all the way up. And um, he, he uh, got a call, I, I guess from Brian Cashman or somebody up there in the front office. And they said like, you gotta let Aaron know we're calling him up. And like, he always wants to do things like really special and like how, you know, that's a life changing thing. So he's at this restaurant, he's like, how am I gonna do this? So all of a sudden, Aaron Judge and his family walk into the restaurant. So he's like, oh, this is perfect. <laughs> so he goes over to the, so he waits. And then the, the waiter comes over to the to Judge family. And then he goes over as the waiter goes over to the table. And the waiter asked the family, like, hey, do you guys want anything to drink? And Al said, you know, interrupts. And he says, I think you guys should get the most expensive champagne. And, uh, you know, I think it should be on you, Mr. Judge. And, uh, and he kind of looks at him like, what? And he's like, the reason is your son is going to the major leagues. I just thought that was the coolest, um, <laughs> you know, amazing. really, really cool way of, uh, of, uh, you know, telling somebody they're going to the, the majors. And he said like the family got up and they hugged them and, you know, it was a sweet <laughs> celebration. And he kind of stepped away to let them, celebrate but uh you know that's a guy who gets it again he understands the the importance of of that call he understands how difficult it is to stick and and he's really good at getting guys to play up to their top potential so i'm excited to see what he does absolutely i mean we're excited we're all excited because we've heard so many great things about him um and to follow up a little bit on that too is is something that has really been happening in in the marlin system is that the hitting development has been lagging behind the pitching development. You know, I think, I think, you know, it's, it's my opinion, but I think it's, um, it's a bit obvious. So the thing is though, that a name that just keeps coming up as a very good coach in the Marlin system is Phil Plantier. He just, he just keeps coming up and the results are there, right? Like you can see it in guys like, I mean, I, I'm not sure if, if he's the reason you mentioned Al being a big part of it, but you hear guys like Jesus Sanchez and Lewin Diaz 
who who just you know went through there and 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 really increased their their performance and guys like JJ Bleday who struggled for the whole season in double a and is now in, in the Arizona Fall League um with with Phil as his hitting coach and he just he just won the co-hitter of the of the league you know so what can you tell us a bit about Phil and, and what do you think um why he's important to to what's happening because we I feel like there we were really lacking in terms of, of of hitting development so if there there is someone who is really making a difference we need to do everything in our power they need to do any, everything in their power to keep them that's a great question and i was talking with somebody about this and i can't remember who it was towards the end of the year and they were like man like it seems like everybody's having a down year in the organization hitting wise. And I, and I was like, are you sure? Like I keep seeing Griffin Conine hitting a home run every day, but, uh, but then, you know, you look at the numbers and I think, you know, maybe there were guys who, who weren't where they expected to be or, or, you know, maybe didn't put up numbers that they thought, you know, they were capable of. And that was not the case in triple a. Uh, and, and I think, you know, Al had a lot to do with that with Jesus but Phil probably had the most to do with that with Jesus and Lewin had an amazing year in AAA. you know, talk about a guy who, you know, went up and down and probably felt like he had so much pressure to perform in like a day or two because he, you know, he, he would go up there for like a day or two and he'd come back down and, and he had an amazing season um, in AAA. But, um, you know, I think you look at this roster and, um, you know, Jesus Sanchez went from a guy who you're like, oh boy, like he might not be anything because he struggled so bad in 2020 to, wow, this guy could be, a, he's a really interesting player. And Lewin Diaz, really interesting player. And Brian Miller, um, you know, arguably had his best season of his career. And Bryson Brigman definitely had the best season of his career. And Eddie Alvarez was really good. Um, while, we, while he was down here and uh, you know Monte Harrison you know again was one of those guys who was like teetering and, and he hit pretty well when he was here so like I think you go up and down like the the roster and this was the one spot in the organization like you said Daniel that people didn't have down years like I don't even know if there's anybody who had like a true down year here and I think a lot has to do with Phil um, there's the, the Jumbo Shrimp had a really good, really good uh, video manager, Kenny Kirkpatrick, and he also deserves a lot of credit. And nobody is going to talk about Kenny, but Phil is really big into video. Like if he's not eating or if he's not like talking to somebody, he's watching video and Kenny cues all that stuff up. And so they, the two of them, I think were so good in tandem, like, Kenny got to know Phil so well, and he knew what Phil was looking for. And then Phil was able to spot things. Okay, you know, maybe this guy, he's dropping his hands too quickly or he's, you know, he's stepping, um, you know, whereas in June he was stepping like this and, and, he, and he had this leg kick and he was really hot. You know, all of a sudden maybe that leg kick is a little bit late. Or, you know, he's so good at just seeing those little fine-tuned things. And so um, I just think, like, He's, he's really detail-oriented, and it's one thing to be detail-oriented and notice things, but it's another thing to be detail-oriented and notice things and then be able to relate that to guys. And he played, right? Like, he had a really good major league career. 
but he's not like I don't think like you would know he played unless like you looked him up. Like he's really down to earth. And so like, he, he's so good. Uh, maybe one of the best coaches I've ever seen at this and at coaching personalities, like he's going to treat me different than he would treat Brian, than he would treat Bryson, than he would treat Jesus, than he would treat Lewin. Like he knows he's so good and knowing how each guy ticks and being able to read their stuff and understanding, you know, what their, you know, their body is like, like he, he said to me, like, you know, Lewin Diaz, his development could take huge chunks. He's like a Pac-Man almost because, you know, he, he's got so much natural ability and he hits the ball so darn hard. Like Lewin Diaz's exit velocities are crazy. And, um, you know, that's different than, Ryan Miller, who doesn't hit for a ton of power, or Bryson Brigman, who also doesn't hit for a lot of power. So he knows guys' profile. He's not going to tell Bryson Brigman, like, hey, man, like you should start thinking about hitting opposite field home runs. Like he's really good at personally coaching each guy. And I think this guy, you know, I know the offensive numbers as a team, like Alex, when you were reading the pitching numbers earlier, and the team hitting numbers aren't great, but the guys that you wanted to be really good, like the younger players, they all had good years here. And Phil is a huge part of that. That's a great notice by you guys because I think people are now coming around to it. Like I see it on Twitter, like, oh, Phil plants here all the time. And I was like, where was this in like September and October when, you know, and in and, and May when Jesus was putting up those just absurd numbers for, for Jacksonville? It's JJ Bleday, man. Um, you know, after seeing yeah. him struggle and people restarted getting – kind of scared because JJ is a big part of our future, you know, and if he doesn't perform, that's a problem. Like we really, that's a guy we really need to perform and um, seeing what he's doing right now at the AFL. And by the way, there is a high probability that you'll get that team, you know, plant here with JJ with uh, Jacksonville next season. So be excited, man. I'm excited. <laughs> I, Phil is Phil is awesome. He is so awesome. And I'm I met JJ briefly before the world shut down spring training 2020. And he seemed like a great guy as well. So he is. Forward yeah. to hopefully him building on a, a great Arizona Fall League uh, campaign and seeing what he could do in AAA. Um, awesome. So let's get a little bit towards the um, player specific and maybe just a quick notes, because I mean, we have uh, deliciously gone long. It's been a, an amazing conversation. No, man. I mean, you've seen us like, even though it's long, we keep <laughs> digging into the question. So we love it. Um, so a couple guys I wanted to ask you about, um, they're Monte and Brian Miller, who you did touch on a little bit. Monte, didn't have his best season. It was, it was okay. I think it was above average in terms of WRC plus OPS. Um, but the K rate, I think it's at like 40%, um, which is something that has been identified for him that really needs to, um, he really needs to get better at. And he also had some issues, um, you know, uh, with, with Starling. And so on, on the field, off the field, your, your, your notes on, on, um, on Monte and what you've seen from him, what do you, what, what do you think about him? What can he do to get better? And Brian Miller, who 
in terms of OPS and WRC plus wasn't as good, but you can see all the intangibles. You can see everything that he can do with the running, with the fielding. Um, you know, he puts the bat on the ball. Like he is a player who can really, um, you know, uh, upgrade a team and just make a team better. So kind of your, your notes on those two guys. Yeah. The, the two, uh, two pretty interesting players for sure. And, you know, I think Monte, um, man, I'm just like, what a defensive player, um, his arm, the way he, some of the catches he made, it was just like, wow. <laughs> like there was a play in Charlotte where he like literally climbed the wall, like he was Spider-Man. And like, I'm just sitting there like, <laughs> these guys don't come along too often players who could do that. And, and you know, you obviously you wish that the strikeout problem, it, it's hard, you know, it, hitting is really hard and you're right. He was at 39% strikeout wise this year. When he hits the ball, he hits it really hard. He is a really good base runner, uh, at least in AAA. I, I can't speak to what he did in the majors or didn't do in the majors. I didn't watch, but um, it's really good. He was, I think, the best player that Jacksonville had at taking the extra base this year. Um, obviously, he's incredibly athletic. So, you know, the, the strikeout stuff, he's, he's 26 now. So you have to hope that um, – that stuff maybe gets curbed a little bit. I don't think you're asking for him to be like a, a 2015 Kansas City Royals player where nobody strikes out, but the 39% in AAA, it's tough to deal with because you figure like you're going to strike out that or maybe a touch more in the major leagues. I, I think he's got it in him. Like, um, you know, he works very hard, very, very talented, just person in general. Um, I think he's misunderstood a lot is what I would say to some of that off the field stuff. And, I don't know what happened between him and Starling, but um, you know, I always thought that he was a guy that that was easy to talk with, and and uh, you know, he on the bus. It was funny we were coming back from somewhere, and the Chiefs were playing the Ravens on Sunday Night Football, and, and he's obviously from the Kansas City area, and, and he saw me watching the game, and he tapped me, and said, "Go Chiefs!" Like, I think he's misunderstood in a lot of ways. I think. You know, hopefully um, as he gets a year older that, um, you know, whatever maturity questions that people have about him, that, that he, you know, can continue to try to answer those. And the, the ability is there. It's, it's just about making that fine tuning and, and hopefully working with Phil um, can help him cut down on those strikeouts. And then, and then Brian, you know, his numbers are, are misleading because he got out to such a bad start. Um, you know, on June 5th, his OPS, his OPS was 454 and uh, he was hitting 160. And then, you know, the rest of the year on, he was a completely different player. And this is a guy that is a leader on the team for sure. Also should be becoming a dad any day now. Um, I think his wife is due in December and, um, you know, he's just an incredibly kind person, relates to everybody also an amazing defensive player, also an amazing base runner. He was in the top three in the league in stolen bases. And again, that's with him hitting 160 for the first month of the season. So he wasn't getting on base. And, um, you know, then he, he didn't point to anything mechanical that he did. Um, but I think he was getting too pull happy. And again, I think this is where Phil comes into play, right? Where he says, you know, what are you doing? You're not Lewin Diaz. You're not Jesus Sanchez. Like, you're Brian Miller. You could go the other way. And he ended up having the highest opposite field rate in the league 
um, this season. And that's a huge part of his success was that, well, I mean, we'd see teams, I don't know what data they're getting, but, you know, I'm watching them every day and I'm literally seeing him hit the ball anywhere. And on fan graphs, his opposite field rate's like 45%. I mean, that's nearly half the time. And they're putting three infielders on the right side. It's like, what are you doing? I mean, he would just line a ball right to where the shortstop would normally stand in a conventional defense, and, and it's a base hit. So um, I think I'm really encouraged with him because at the very least, you know you're going to get a, a really good defensive player, a great base runner, and a guy who I think has learned to hit, I don't think he's ever going to hit a ton of home runs, but I think this year was the first year click for him that like, I'm going to embrace who I am. I don't, you know, I don't need to hit for that kind of power to be successful. So like maybe his ceiling isn't as high as Montes, but um, you know, certainly a guy who I think now understands the player that he is. And you hope that Monte um, can understand that too, that, Hey, I don't need to hit the ball 450 feet. I don't need to have this monstrous leg kick. Maybe a little bit less is more like Brian found out this year. Yeah. Just really quick on both of those guys. I mean, standout moment for me for Monte Harrison. And I'm sure you remember this one, Scott was near the end, near the end of the year where he hit a home run to left field that if you guys know Jacksonville, there's the wall, there's, you know, the little berm area. And then behind that is one of their parking lots. I didn't see exactly where the ball landed, but it must have been halfway into that parking lot. It, it was probably like <laughs> the longest home run I've seen hit at that stadium. As long as I've been watching jumbo show games, it was ridiculous. Um, what everybody's going to point to is exactly what you said, Scott, the, the thing with Marte and they're going to say, Oh yeah, the guy's done. But what people don't want to point to is the fact that before the season started, he did work with the players Alliance and he's done that multiple times. So Everybody can point to the negative and say, oh, yeah, the guy has character issues. But you have to take into account this is another guy. We talked about Braxton. We talked about Nider. We talked talk about Brian, another guy that, that could have easily gotten his chance more recently than he did this season. And then he gets the chance, and he gets three at-bats, and they send him back. So, again, that's frustration, and that's going to frustrate any human being. And he dealt with it a little bit, you know, more negatively than the other guys that we talked about. And that's that, yes, needs, you need to fix that at 26 years old, you, you know, things like that can't happen. And the Marlins punished him for it. He went to triple a, he sat for like a week and a half. They didn't let him play. He was just in the dugout the entire time. And, you know, then he came back. And as far as I know, everything in Jacksonville was, was fine after that point. So a bad moment, but you move past things like that. So, you know, I, I don't necessarily think Monte Harrison should you should look at Monte Harrison and say he's not going to be a Marlin anymore. You know, I think he made a mistake. And there's positives that go with the negatives. You know, the work with the players lines really stood out to me. I personally asked him about that um, in spring training. And he said that he just he wanted to show kids that th there you can do something else when you're growing up in inner cities, as he did. You know, you don't have to fall into that negative lifestyle that can do something with your life, whether it's sports or something else. I think that really stands out. And as Scott said, one of the most athletic dudes ever, three sport athlete, played basketball, football, and baseball, fast hits, got to bring the K's down, as Daniel said, but I think he could still be a great, a great, a great major league baseball player. So I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not as negative on Monte as a lot of other people are. And then with Brian, that's, that's one of my good buddies. Like I've, I've covered that guy for a long time. I've watched him grow through the levels. I watched him beat Magnary Sierra in a foot race in spring training so that you could just say that about the speed and then everything that Scott said about his ability to fix his hitting this year with Phil's help, just a guy that would be a perfect fourth outfielder for any baseball team. 
and will stay with the Marlins, which which is a good news because he was on the 40 men roster this year. So no more, no more rule five for him. So it was good to see him come up. Would have liked to see more, but I like Brian. I think I think he's a good piece for any bench. All right. Uh, so that's it on those guys. Um, I'll get to my two before we do quick fire and go, Scott. I have Bryson Brigman, who we've already talked about, you know, again, as with Tommy, who we talked about, this may be the last time I get to bring his name up because he's unprotected in rule five somehow. And th- this, this guy in particular, I really pointed to, and a lot of people pointed to throughout the year. And every time a middle infielder went down, whether it was Miggy with the finger or jazz, you really pointed to Bryson because he was so good the whole year. I mean, maybe slow down a little bit at the end, but you know, he was so good and so sustainable and hit well. And I thought fielded really well the whole year in AAA and just really deserved that, that shot to come up. And it just never happened. So more so than anybody else, I think that's a guy that was there. It was just so crazy and so mysterious as to why he never got the shot. And I was on a fish drive show with our buddies there and Craig Mish, who's one of the Marlins um, most inside guys. He has connections with the team, as we know, he said that, they don't think he's ready defensively. I saw this guy making barehanded plays, glove flipping to first base, you know, that maybe that's because of Al's help, but I, I really, I mean, he made seven errors the whole year, you know, he's playing multiple positions. So I, I really didn't understand that explanation. I don't think a lot of people did. So either the Marlins are just not confident in him, you know, to bring up a guy like Devin Marrero, no knock on Devin Marrero time after time, after time, you know, uh, they called up another guy a lot too, uh, middle infielder um, Luis Marte. Um, again, no knock on him, but I thought Bryson deserved that opportunity over those guys. So, yeah, just uh, on Bryson really quick, I'll let you go ahead. Um, why did he never get that chance, do you think? Do you think the Marlins are just out? And beyond that, whether he's with the Marlins or not, what kind of player is this? And, you know, what can he bring to any major league team? Well, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think we were surprised, too. We were, we were kind of waiting for it. You know, he had a he started a really similar to Brian started really slow. And then it was like the light bulb went off and he just didn't stop hitting. And like you said, there was maybe a small, I want to say like a 10 game stretch, maybe at the, you know, in September ish where he, you know, he just had finally had a slump like, like that he was human. But, um, you know, I, I watched him. He, he brings a lot of versatility because he could play second base, but he also can play short and can play third. I, I honestly think he can play outfield because he's probably the best guy as an infielder going back, you know, in those balls, like down the line that a shortstop's got to go over their right shoulder, like way out. Like he made a really couple really nice plays where he went like a hundred plus feet and made catches. So, you know, he, he brings uh quickness. He's also, you know, a really uh, heavy uh, base runner. I, you know, he's got to work on, on the stolen base part of his game. He was 10 for 15 this year, um, maybe a little bit lower of a percentage than than average. Not egregious, I would say, but not quite where you want a player with his athleticism. But it's been trending upwards because he was two for five uh, with Jacksonville in 2019. So that clearly he made some strides there. He was also really good at kind of taking that extra base. And, and the hitting, you know, a, a guy who I think you talk about Brian Miller and, and Brian knows who he is and. He knows he's not going to hit for a, a ton of home runs. Uh, but Bryson's got more power than people realize. Like, he's a little guy, 5'11", 180 is what he's listed. I think he's probably a little bit, you know, more muscular than that now. But he's got more thump than than people think. And, um, you know, I, I almost 
I, I think the best explanation I could have for for maybe why he didn't go up would be, you know, I thought his defense was good. I'm not a scout, so I don't know. But I thought, um, you know, maybe they thought there was going to be a 40-man roster crunch. I, I don't know. And then, you know, they thought, they, hey, we can outright Marrero. We can outright Gilmet. We can outright Bellotti. I mean, there's a lot of guys that did that too. And we, don't have, we won't have to worry about losing him. But if we outright Brigman, um, you know, we might lose him. And that's, I thought that was a big reason. And I think that's maybe why I was a little surprised that he wasn't added to the 40-man roster um, this week. So, you know, I, I thought he had a great season. I think he's a really good worker. I think he's a really good teammate. Um, he's always been great, um, you know, media-wise. Media really nice guy. And, um, again, like, you know, I, I think a lot of people are surprised. that You brought up Craig Mish. I, uh, some, actually, a, a Cubs beat reporter had asked me about Bryson Brigman, which maybe isn't good news for you guys, but I used to work in an organization. So a lot of Cubs um, friends and and he asked like, you know, what do you know about this guy? I said, well, he used to be a hockey player growing up. He was such a good hockey player. He would, uh, he's from San Jose, but he would actually fly every week to Los Angeles to play with this like really good hockey team uh, on the weekends. And then he would fly back to San Jose to go to school. And then, you know, he would fly back to LA and um, you know, he's also like, he's a, pretty cool guy like he him and his girlfriend bought a camper and they they drive it around like you know he's really a likable person like people kind of gravitate towards him and and uh you know the fact that maybe cubs beat reporters are, are on the prowl about him maybe like there are you know there could be a team that that takes a liking so um you know again um you know i i was surprised um you know certainly during the year and i guess to bring it full circle with the craig mish tweet because this Cubs reporter asking about him. So like, did he get traded? So I searched his name on Twitter and, and I think Craig had a, a tweet in from July that said like, uh, you know, something about him not getting called up and, and it was past due. And, and I was like, okay, well um, that still didn't happen. So I hope he gets that call. I think he deserves it. I think he's worked really hard. You know, a guy got off to a, a slow start who didn't play every day to start the season that, that could bury you. And, and he didn't let it. And he, he proved himself to be able to play every single day. And he proved himself as a guy who maybe gets selected in the rule five draft. And, and um, you know, again, for Marlins fans, I, I hope he gets a look because I think he's interesting. I don't know if he's, you know, I don't know what he can be in the major leagues, but if you're a rebuilding team like the Cubs, for example, or whoever, it's the perfect guy to take a flyer on because maybe he doesn't end up being a good, a good major league player because, you know, in 2019, he wasn't, that he was okay. Like, but this year he hit for more power. He got on base more. I thought his fielding improved. His base running was better. Those are the kind of guys that hopefully young rebuilding teams take a chance on. And hopefully he continues to take advantage of those opportunities, be it with the Marlins, uh, with Jacksonville to start the year next year, presumably, or in another organization via rule five. I, I hope he gets a chance. He deserves it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, another guy that, you know, it's been around for a bit. But uh, yeah, definitely. I thought he deserved the shot. You know, you brought up a good point about them not wanting to DFA him. But, you know, I thought definitely near the end of the year, he could have he could have got that shot and stuck on the 40 man. There, there was room to be had on that 40 man roster. I won't go into that. I've gone into that enough. But there is there is room on the 40 man for Bryson to stay on it for for um, for a bit of the year. Anyways, I'll, I'll give you one last one. Nick Fortes, you know, 2019 single A advance with the Hammerheads, 217, 293, 308. So not great, but again, that's hitting in Jupiter, which is hard and a newer player. Um, 
what's impressive to me, misses a full season this year. He starts in double A and just so much better with the bat. Like, and it's a catcher. So, you know, it's those guys, you know, historically, especially here recently, defense over offense. So yeah, for Nick to hit 251, 338, 359, that's a pretty vast improvement. And then he goes up to triple A with you guys and stats were pretty much the same, 237, 322, 378. Um, so I think what, you know, kind of fell off for him at the triple A level was the rate at which he caught runners. 31% in double A versus 17% in triple A. I think a lot of that can be attributed to him, like playing against, you know, as you said before, these major league guys, these guys that have major league experience are going to take advantage of something. They're going to see something. So, you know, I think that that can explain that, you know, gets the call to the Marlins. Like I said, late in the year, um, and he was kind of the talk of the team, you know, in month of September, 14 games, he hits four home runs. So yeah, Scott, for me, a guy that's just able to, um, to obviously go to work on his craft, despite doing it probably by himself or, you know, personal friends or coaches of his, in the miss 2020 and then comes back in 2021. And I think the best version of himself was seen obviously makes up to the big. So Marlon saw something as well. Um, as I said, for always been a guy that's been a good receiver P- pitchers in Jupiter really liked throwing to Nick Fortez. I think even really good power as well on the offensive side, he's 5'11, 200. So not a huge guy, but probably some hidden power in his swing, I think to crank out four major league home runs and a limited showing. So yeah, um, I think a really good year awesome to see him in the big leagues. I think it's probably more backup slash DH, maybe first base you can mix in maybe for him on a long-term basis as a big leaguer. But um, yeah, just uh, what you saw from him in his showing with the shrimp and what you think his big league ceiling could be. Yeah. I mean, um, I think everybody was surprised that he, not that he's not a good player, right. That, that he did what he did when he got to the major leagues, like all of a sudden hitting for such immense power. Um, I think if anything, like, you know, we didn't see him a ton of time in AAA, but his his BABIP, his batting average on balls and play was really low, and he's a pretty athletic guy. Like, he could steal bases for you. That's rare for a catcher. So I thought that he had more than he showed because his, his not offensive numbers were fine. You know, you would take him for a catcher for sure in AAA. It was 27 games. Um, but I thought that there was more there. And I think that he started to show that more with the Marlins, which is really exciting. And I guess I would add to this, you know, th- these young players like like Bryson Brigman and Nick Fortes, you don't know like what kind of the baseball skills are so malleable now. So you don't know like what changes um, guys are making that maybe unlock something. So whereas like, you know, these two guys, maybe they're, they're, ceiling was this in 2019 might be different now you know they had a whole year to work on their craft with no baseball get stronger get more fit um you know clearly showed some things in 2021 and um you know they might have a higher sling than we think i you know i I don't think he's going to be salvador perez um but i think he could be a, a really good backup for a guy who's a solid starter for the marlins i think the other thing i would say is um, you know, to talk about catchers, Peyton Henry is an immaculate defensive catcher. So, you know, I, those two are really interesting. And personally, um, you know, I, from what I heard from pitchers, they loved throwing to Nick. They loved throwing to Peyton. And um, in some of like the metrics that we saw that the Marlins use, like Henry's metrics or like receiving are like absurd. Like you never see them ever. And like he was doing it. Um, so, you know, 
he's got a lot of power and he's, you know, still a little inconsistent in his hitting, but I mean, he is like, both are great guys. And I think both have a future in the major leagues, hopefully with the Marlins, maybe as some sort of platoon or what, but I, I mean, that was a really interesting trade. And I think, you know, people aren't talking a lot about Henry and I almost think that like he's got the higher ceiling simply because he's so good already defensively and he's got more natural pop and pitchers are just enamored with him. Everybody's enamored with him. Like, um, like I think like the, uh, like the groundskeepers are enamored with him. Like he's such a great guy to deal with. And so I think he's under the radar because Fortes was so good when he got called up and, and Henry was inconsistent. And I almost think that like people are overlooking it. Peyton Henry, who I think I, I don't know. I, when I watched him, I was really, really impressed this year. It was I, I, I crazy. Sports, but I liked Henry too. Yeah, a crazy offensive season with with a Milwaukee affiliate. So, so yeah, I mean, if, if, if his defense is that immaculate, then and he does have that offense in him, then yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah, so we'll see. I mean, his numbers with Jacksonville weren't great, but again, it was twenty two games. Um, he showed like patience. I really like that. Um, you know, his batting average wasn't, it was 188, but he, he had an on-base percentage more than 100 points higher. So like, again, it was only 22 games that he was, you know, keep talking about the human element, right? Like he, he's got a lot going on in his life. Um, you know, right now that, that off the field that he posts about like his brother who's dealing with some stuff and, um, yeah, that, that I can't imagine how that must be. And then, um, he's, he's all you know he gets traded like you got to learn brand new everybody and it's a catcher that's amplified because you really got to know everybody on the pitching staff I, I don't know i was really impressed with him and i think um you know i think nick is a good player i think peyton is really going to show a lot going forward I, um you know it's tough marlins fans didn't get to see him a lot he was up and down he's a brand new guy i i thought it was really interesting yeah, definitely. And we know the Marlins, even though they're expected to target catcher here in the offseason, and I think they will in terms of starter, I think both of those guys, both Fortes and Henry, um, could be solid backups, bats off a bench, DH, maybe, like I said, if, if a backup first baseman, if that spot opens up. Both of those guys, for sure, definitely have the power, um, receivability, like we just said, both of them. So, yeah, two good names there. Um, you know, it, it's going to probably be overshadowed by whoever the Marlins get here uh, for their starter. But I wouldn't forget about either one of those players turning into um, quality backups, guys off the bench, like I said. So, yeah, really, really good. Good stuff. All right. So this has been a loaded, loaded show. Tons of great stories. Tons of great information. Absolutely incredible. We went through a lot of guys, a lot of stuff. Jumbo Shrimp. Couldn't ask for a better recap than the one we got from Scott here today uh, but we do have one last thing before we go as you know scott from being a former guest is quick fire round these are just five short question and answer format questions uh quick short quick 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 question quick answer and we'll get out uh on this episode but uh we'll go ahead uh we'll switch off here i got the first one uh it's going to be on promotions because we asked you about this a lot last time but we know david rats and their promotions team are amazing innovators in everything that they do for this team, just bringing something new and keeping the games so fun, just doing something. I think minor league baseball as a whole, there's so much, you know, zany, unique ideas. I and mean, I was talking to Chris about this on the last show that 
it's sometimes hard to do something new, but for David, that's really never an issue that you guys are always doing something that another team has never done. So I got to ask, I was there for your Saturday one, uh, the 4th of July, when you did the, the 4th of July hat, which was really cool. I still have it, but anyways, just a, a favorite promotion that you guys did this season on a Saturday that you thought really stood out that, you know, David should be credited for probably all of them, but if you could just pick one. <laughs> yeah. David is amazing. What a guy too. Um, I got to go. Uh, I'm a Seinfeld guy. Costanza bobblehead. I have it in my office. It's I, I have to say that one. That's, that's my favorite. That's amazing, man. Uh, most memorable moment or game called in 2021. So um, we played Norfolk. It was actually, we had 21 last at bat wins. This was our first walk-off win and it took us a long time to get it. I think a month into the season and we were down, um, early in the game it was uh, actually i think it was the seinfeld night and or no it was our vice usually the seinfeld night or the vice first miami vice night anyway um santiago chavez had a game time two run home run in the ninth inning and then um devin morero had a walk-off single in the 10th and and Amazing. like it was our biggest crowd of the year um it was an incredible environment because the stands had just reopened fully and to have that kind of comeback and those two moments to me, those that that stood out. Yeah, a lot of a lot of good games um, this year for for the show. It was always entertaining. It was just an entertaining team to watch. No matter who the players were, we know you guys played as we said before Durham a lot. So you saw the, uh, some of Wander Franco at the beginning of the year, who got called up right before my visit, by the way. And you guys were playing Durham. So <laughs> I didn't get to see him, um, but I think Lewin wasn't wasn't there either, right? Yeah, or was he? I think Lewin came back from the last game that I was at. He he got sent back, anyways. Yeah, um, a guy I did get to see was Vidal Brujan. So whether it was on the field or off the shrimp or the opponent, it was it was just a lot of entertaining baseball, and for sure a good first year at the AAA level for everything that we said during the episode. Um, but the next one that I had, it's kind of another fun one. We know you guys have awesome food in the stadium. When I was there, I had the helmet nachos. I think they were like shrimp and pork helmet nachos. They were fantastic. So those were really good. But I wanted to ask, you guys always post on Twitter, like every day, every every game probably, you guys post on Twitter a thank you to who gave you the press box meal. So we know there's a lot of great food in the Jacksonville area. I had an awesome seafood restaurant when I was up there, as I told you before. But favorite one of those, favorite press box meal that you guys had this year? I had to go Biggie's Pizza. Their, their pizzas were good. I said this to somebody from the Northeast, so I, I really like their pizza. So Biggie's Pizza, Sunday, our Sunday partner. Who are you giving one player? Who are you looking forward to the most? You know, what player playing in Jacksonville? Maybe projected. Obviously, things can change. But from guys who maybe were in A, or maybe guys who maybe a level below that who may come up later on, Who's one who you'd say, like, I really want to watch, you know, really, I really want to call games for next season. I would say, uh, you know, Max Meyer was one of them, um, but I guess I got to go Griffin Conine. I mean, the year he just had, he's a really interesting player. So I'm, Absolutely. I'm looking let's forward hope. to yeah. yeah, let's hope because that, that, he's really dangerous for picking up at uh, rule five. I, I don't think he'll get picked up, um, but he is dangerous. So yeah, that's a good choice. Absolutely. I feel like that's the easy way out choice, but but man, like he just had an amazing year. So I'm I'm excited to see what he could do in Jacksonville if he hope if he gets here or hopefully goes to the major leagues. 
Just, just to think about the, the amount of power potential to next year's shrimp team could have with Burdick, you know, if Griffin is still here, as Daniel said, Blade, if Gerard is how finally healthy and goes up, like this, it could be like an absolutely massively powerful team. So yeah, and in a hitter friendly environment too. So see what happens with that. But yeah, a lot of projectability there. A lot of things can happen as Daniel said, but yeah, I think a, a lot of homers possible for next year's team. All right. Last one, Scott, and we'll get out. Um, I'm asking this to everybody um, that comes on these shows. I asked it to our three previous guests and I'm going to ask it to you. As we just said, a lot of things can change. You know, we could see trades. We could see, we probably will see trades. We could see new signings. We see a lot of different things, but as far as right now, confidence in the current state of the Marlins system and the direction of the franchise right now. Oh, very confident. Uh, I know, I know people are, pessimistic um i understand it but i i think they've got the right ownership group i think they've got the right people in place to to be able to to get this thing turned around i you know i i know it's frustrating for people but i we see the talent here this last year and i and people are like oh just wait till you see this guy just wait till you see this guy just wait till you see this guy and then i'm like well we've got al you know he's going to the major leagues we got jp we've got phil um, you know, they've got the right coaches as well. I, you know, I, I'm very confident. I know it's frustrating. I know it might not be immediate, but I, I do think that they're, they're doing the right stuff. All right. Can't agree more with that. You know, it's just depth on depth on depth and, and lots of stuff to be uh, confident about. I think, I think if you're buying into the Marlins, you don't buy into the major league team right now, you buy into what's coming. And as I said before, Marlins are committed to that. And, you know, even if they trade a couple of pieces from the depth, they're not going to trade everybody. And a lot of those guys are going to be Miami Marlins in the near future. Jumbo shrimp first and then Miami Marlins. So <laughs> that's going to do it guys. That's um, going to be episode 33 of swimming upstream, a loaded show. We got to a lot of things. Like I said before, great stories from Scott. So Scott, man, I got to say uh, thanks so much again for coming on the show. All that insight was fantastic. If you guys don't follow Scott, you can follow him on Twitter at Scott Kornberg. You can listen to him on ESPN radio in the Jacksonville area, and you can always catch him on MILB.TV during the season. So Scott, thanks for all your work this year, man. Absolutely awesome to listen to you and Matt present. We wish him well as well. So thank you again. And uh, we really appreciate it. Thank you guys. Matt, Matt was amazing. I appreciate you having me on. Matt is, it helps me make, helps me look even decent. So um again thanks for having me on guys hope you have a great holiday season ahead we'll see you guys next time <laughs>